On today's episode of Service Intel, Sydney is joined by Matt Gannis, who is the Director of Home Services at Whirlpool. The discussion focuses on the company's third-party service model. Matt explains what prompted the shift to a third-party model, along with the challenges and wins they've experienced along the way. He also shares how the company handles employee training, knowledge sharing, and the role technology will play in the service Whirlpool delivers to customers. Hope you enjoyed today's episode, and now I'll pass things over to Sydney. Thanks so much, Michaela, for the for the introduction. Uh, really excited to have Matt with us today. Matt Gaines, uh from Whirlpool. Uh, Matt, I'll turn the mic over to you to do a little introduction of who you are and what you do with Whirlpool. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Again, I'm Matt Gaines. Uh, I serve as a home services director at Whirlpool Corporation. Um, Whirlpool Corporation is known uh, as a market leader in the appliance industry with iconic brands in our portfolio, such as Whirlpool, Maytag, KitchenAid, Genair, and Amana. And our vision is to improve life at home. Uh, my role within the organization is to execute that vision through pre and post purchase experiences that essentially deliver uh, a level of loyalty to our customers and consumers in the field, uh, specifically in the home delivery and field service arena. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Matt. Um, the topic today um, I'm excited about, right? Uh, I come from, from this world. Um, using third parties and, and, and the way we titled it today, revolution, revolutionizing third party model. Um, I'm excited to have this conversation with you, Matt. I, I think you're going to have some real enlightening topics and takeaways for the audience to listen to. Uh, but as we get started, can you describe a little bit how your third party model is set up today for Whirlpool? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the service model today is essentially made up of what we call four tiers. Um, we have W Service, uh, which is our most prominent exclusive service channel. They're servicing about 70% of our warranty volumes throughout the country. We also have our ISCs, which uh, we have an acronym for them for independent service companies and self-servicing dealers and servicing dealers. Um, our strategic position uh, within the service arena is to grow our W Service exclusivity um, which today is setting about 70% uh, and yields a, a very true competitive advantage for us. So a lot of growth targets set within that sector of our network today. Fantastic. Thank you. I heard you say exclusivity and a lot of it at 70% with the hopes to grow it larger. Um, I want to pause here if you don't mind. You know, coming from the business of using third parties, a lot of third parties often will work on your product as well as the competition. Can you describe a little bit more on on how you're able to, through the terms of utilization, you know, install base, how are you able to get that compliance and the willingness for your third parties just to be solely dedicated to your product line? Yeah, great question. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, it's all about a data-driven approach for us. Uh, we go into a market, we look at our, our market share there, we look at our sales volume, uh, and then we understand from a from a service event concentration perspective, um, what would be a viable service operation to set up within that market. Um, and so what we have looked at is these larger MSAs. We've got about 280 MSAs that were active in today that are full exclusive markets. What we found as the, the competitive advantage, not only for Whirlpool Corporation, because there is an ease of management, but on the external side with the service provider lens, we've found um, the 
more streamlined that we can make processes, diagnostics, uh, technology, um, all of those attributes that essentially make up an operation. If we can create those standards, it shows up on the bottom line. And so what we do here is look at how do we continue to grow exclusivity where it's most applicable uh, and drive a viable uh, service network solution, um, not only to our, our consumers, but to our service network partners. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Two-prone question here. Uh, I know prior you guys were using uh, some direct and you eventually went over to a complete third party. Um, the question more is why you went to complete third party. And then as you're at a third party, man, can you describe how, how you differentiate the different levels of providers? Yeah. So, um, you know, let's, let's start with, with maybe the latter here, you know, um, as I mentioned, there, there's about four levels within our network. Majority of the focus is set to our W service. We have a pay for performance model where we establish essentially a, a mutual base of accountability to deliver KPIs, critical to quality metrics uh, that are all measured across consumer experience and operational effectiveness. Um, we kind of, uh, I'll say, qualify our, our servicers by volumes, performance and operational efficiency. Um, and then as we think about, you know, that model uh, and how it came about, it was a journey. Um, in 2011, I believe, we kind of started our journey to build up our, our service network. Um, a few years later, call it 2013 or so, we started our own network. And the objective at that time and still is, is to create a, a differentiated service level with strong partnerships um, that yield top performance within the industry. What we found um, is that the national provider uh, framework wasn't necessarily a strategic fit for us as we started to think about growth targets. And so we started to shift more into that independent uh, network, which has created an influx of opportunities, both internally and externally for our network and organization. Awesome. Thank you. So the national level wasn't suiting the needs of where you wanted to go uh, operationally and metric driven. Um, what other challenges could you, could you elaborate on that you, you faced during this change? Yeah. So um, like I mentioned, it's a journey um, organically and inorganically growing a network um, definitely is not done overnight. Um, and it comes with a lot of growing pains. Um, although we do believe um, that we kind of, completed the task exceptionally well uh, with the level of continuity that we still see today, we found uh, one of the most fundamental challenges was how do we create a superior ease of doing business uh, for our service partners? For example, um, you know, if a service technician and back office staff are spending too much time on a straight as, as they are maybe looking at routing or administrating duties, it's driving an unexpected cost to the bottom line and not completing service events for our mutual consumers within the expectation. Um, so when small businesses and, you know, large organizations like ourselves merge or, or start to partner, there's a magnitude of process changes on both sides. Uh, we try to get ahead of that. I think we've done a pretty decent job for the most part, but it's a consistent learning and going to see how certain processes actually behave and work in the field are paramount to success. Um, so as we kind of continue to build a lot of um, focus um, and, and strategy orientation to some of the administration burden offsets. Uh, we found a way to utilize the voice of the network 
um, to kind of harvest some of the common uh, common uh, challenges and opportunities. Um, and in many areas, you know, we've we found ways to streamline improvements to administration, process, and technology. We're not where we want to be by any means, but we've taken uh, some great strides uh, in terms of progress and momentum. And I uh, feel very confident that we're set up in the future uh, to maximize our partnerships and, and yield more operational efficiency working together. Matt, you said something that that really piqued my interest, right? It's going out and understanding how the technicians do the work. Right. I think that was paramount into helping you guys understand the right tools, et cetera. Can you get a little bit more in detail when it comes to equipment and, and training your, your network? And what, what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, here within Whirlpool Corporation, you know, we have um, a set of about 15 field service business managers that are out in the field. Um, their their residencies are very much uh strategically positioned to their markets. Um, and so they have a set of servicers that they're working with ongoing. And um, we see that there's a lot of value actually going into the operations, identifying what are those areas of opportunity, which then brings in our, our training opportunities, right? Uh, and we are heavily invested in training to build up the right set of competencies in the field. We've seen a shift um, from technical skills and knowledge to more emotional intelligence base to help recover experiences effectively. So from our perspective, there needs to be a balance between both effective uh, training in, in the technical arena, as well as it's crucial to you know, repair the consumer uh, first before we repair the product. Um, we have uh, an industry-leading competency development training program. Uh, and today we're, we're focused on three major um, components behavioral, technical, and business skills for our network. We train not only the technicians in the field, but also the business owners that are running day-to-day -day operations. Uh, we teach them, you know, P&L management, how to run a viable and profitable business. And the courses are a mix between hands-on and e-learning curriculum that we can uh, that we apply in, in, in Service Matters, which is basically kind of our, our platform for everything service. Um, and this is kind of our all-in uh, approach here to ensure that um, we're doing what we can uh, to equip the, the technicians as well as the business owners with the right tools um, and uh, the, the right resources to be successful in the marketplace. A little plug here, this is something that we're continuing to invest in. And so um, we are in the process of actually scaling up our approach with a new training institution in Cleveland, Tennessee, and we're set to do a uh, grand opening early 2024. So we're very excited about that. And I think it only continues to complement um, our, our strategy and making sure every touch point within the service arena um, is, is looked at from a training perspective uh, to be positioned for success. Awesome, man. And, and super admirable. I think about, you know, how you're providing a business acumen training skills, the P&L to be not taken for granted because let's face it, some of these third parties you deal with in networks like this are small second, third generation family businesses that have done business the way their parents showed them. Right. And if you can show them how to be more operationally effective, more profitable, I think that is kudos to you guys. And maybe why is maybe the secret sauce for the recipe of success that you guys have going. So thank you for sharing with that. Uh, any real examples that you can cite based off of this training you provide that 
has driven exceptional exceptional customer satisfaction? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we always are measuring customer satisfaction. We have an ongoing, you know, five-star measurement system here in-house. But I have to say, you know, some of the things that I believe our network and, and the team is most proud of is during the pandemic, you know, when everything was shut down and even some of our service companies were exiting the industry, um, we had to rely heavily on the network um, to do the basics, right? To keep food on the table for families, to keep refrigerators operating, to store food. So it was um, essential, essential for us to continue uh, to run service calls in the time of need for, for our consumer base. So we were able to keep our operations across all states running smoothly during the time. And, and we were surgically focused specifically on our exclusive W service, as well as others, uh, to continue to keep uh, ongoing operations um, going. And as an outcome, we saw an influx of compliments come in from our consumers, nursing homes, et cetera. And as a result, we produced one of the highest five-star scores we've ever seen to date. Um, and this was a true testament that our network was you know, not only an industry service uh, leader, uh, we also demonstrated that we can survive the turbulence within, you know, major disruptions within the environment. Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. Um, talking about what you just talked about with, with, with the pandemic and the struggles and keeping things moving, we'll touch about that in the next question. But before I go there, what are some of the high-level qualifications you look when considering to take on new partners? Yeah, um, so we do have a robust onboarding process to become an authorized uh, Whirlpool service partner. Um, so all of our applications are submitted through Service Matters, which is kind of our all-service uh, platform. And first, we look at availability and capacity by ZIP. Um, so it's very much aug uh, automated, augmented, if you will, to run an algorithm behind the scenes to say, do or do we not need availability within these certain zip codes that the service provider is applying for? Uh, today, we run about 90 percent, excuse me, 97 percent coverage. Um, and the three percent um, that we don't necessarily have ample coverage to the, these are typically areas where we expand a service or, or uh, we do, you know, special exceptions. They're very rural and remote locations where there's not a lot of volume density. Um, so we validate, you know, the strategic fit of, of a servicer uh, with all of those credentials before authorizing. So once they are authorized, uh, we do add a, a partner in the step, um, which validates the criteria. And we use a vendor by the name of Plus One, uh, and they help us uh, with the proper requirements and identify background checks, uh, continuous monitoring, screens, etc. And we take great pride in ensuring that our standards are met before we send uh, a tech into our consumer's home. Uh, in addition, uh, we look at uh, a market market coverage, uh, tech counts, establishing key metrics of success. So some of those metrics can include operational efficiencies, uh, such as first call complete, capacity, volume growth, et cetera. So we look at how we can leverage those service partners to provide further service vertical extensions uh, to offer a full menu of services to our customer and to our consumer. 
All right, Matt. So going back to to collaboration and fostering a culture of collaboration within your network, can you talk a little bit how Whirlpool goes about fostering and what do you do to do knowledge sharing and promote it and and make it fluid and efficient? Yeah. Um, well, since the majority of our network is either exclusive or uh, majority of our network prioritizes our service events, um, we don't necessarily necessarily see them anything besides a strategic partner that essentially delivers an extension of service recovery for us, right? Um, We've built a culture of continuous improvement philosophies in-house, and we think that that helps us mutually collaborate um, with operational efficiencies. Um, And those improvements are, are essentially prioritized in a way that drive viability and stronger profitability to our service partners. Um, the knowledge sharing of lean principles um, and due to the nature of our operational environment, I see a lot of strong collaboration between the service partners um, coupled with internal training, right, that we provide their, their technicians. So it delivers a structure of base learning with, with practical application. Um, I think that's really kind of how we start thinking about this knowledge sharing opportunity. Yep. Uh, there are some great things that we do in house in terms of best practice sharing as well. So, uh, you know, every town hall, we always try to highlight uh, some of our service companies that are maybe doing things creatively or finding unique ways of problem solving. Uh, and we feel that that um, best practice sharing or knowledge sharing can be very powerful when everybody's kind of uh, at baseline and, and experiencing the same challenges. So, um, fostering collaboration and teamwork within the network uh, is very critical to the success of not only the company that's demonstrating uh, those process improvements or problem-solving capabilities, but essentially their peers. How could they adopt maybe some of those best practices and incorporate them into their operations? Awesome. You've mentioned quite a few times, so I know it's in the DNA of Whirlpool and yourself, Matt, uh, measuring and metrics and accountability um, can you talk about what some of those metrics are, maybe one or two, and then how do you review the performance of those metrics with your partners? And when they're off track, how do you typically coach them to get back on track? Yeah, so, I mean, we measure the success of our service partners through performance KPIs, um, you know, key performance indicators, and, and CTQs, which Essentially, we, we see them as critical to quality metrics. You know, these are first first time completions, capacity, five star mostly are the ones that we look at in terms of performance management and, and driving a, a mutual set of accountability. But there are other tangible measures of success. Right. I talked about market share. I talked about technician growth, effectiveness and diagnostic capability, process improvements, things of that nature. So for the team, as well as the network. We go as far as incorporating, you know, building blocks of continuous improvement methods um, that are not only embedded into Whirlpool, but how do we extrapolate externally to our service partner cultures? Um, we've got some great examples, you know, going to certain partners to see um, how they look at work, how they identify or prioritize opportunities. So getting excited to solve problems together, I think is paramount, right? And having a high level agreement of the structure um, to actually get things done and address 
certain opportunities by root cause, I think it only helps us accelerate results collectively. Awesome. It's, it's, it's inevitable we have to talk about technology, right? Uh, it's, it's growing at light speed in front of our faces, right? How do you see technology impacting uh, Whirlpool service? And how do you envision the future of your service based off of technology influence? Well, uh, I see them both complementing each other long term. Um, there are certain expectations consumers will always have, such as we need to be available to repair a product. We need to be available to deliver a product, right? I, I see technology playing a great role in the future of balancing the capacity and experience and to deliver upon the consumer journey that has evolving targets and moving targets, right? Um, I believe it plays an even bigger role in diagnostics and predictive analytics. A lot of organizations, including Whirlpool, um, continue to invest in these capabilities. And I see the next iteration of technology becoming more sophisticated to help consumers proactively maintain product and services within the marketplace. Awesome. Thank you. And more specifically around AI and AR, right? Something you can't get away from. Um, Do do, do you see that the qualifications of your partners will change, meaning will you expect them to use it and adopt to them to be qualified as a partner? So um, I I think there's still a lot to learn in this area, um, Mm -hmm. but I do see a lot of benefits in the area. Um, We've been using AR for some time now in our training sessions and leveraging a lot of e-learning curriculum, which helps to cultivate and foster learning styles. Um, There's some commonalities of the work I I don't see um, having a replacement. I mean, for example, the technician in the home will probably be a characteristic in the consumer journey that will stay unchanged. Um, Many opportunities I think do exist with optimizing specifically around the diagnostics, back office support, and other areas of the customer service ecosystem. But it's going to be interesting, and it will be great to see where it takes us in the long range. All right, so so, some final thoughts and takeaways, Matt, uh, as we're getting close to wrapping up. How is Whirlpool's unique model, as you described it over this last uh, uh, 20 minutes or so, impacted the company and its customers? And what lessons would you like to share uh, as we start wrapping up this conversation? Yeah. um, So like I said, it's a journey. Um, I've seen it a few times uh, with with others that have gone through the journey. I've even mentioned it on a couple of other podcasts. I mean, in my opinion, service um, is more of a relationship driven business above above all other other things. Uh, To be effective at creating a relationship, um, I think you have to have a, a level of respect and responsiveness. And if you do those things without fail, typically uh, you're able to achieve a desirable result within your network, which then translates to uh, a better customer experience. Um, Having operational rhythm is another opportunity. Uh, I typically see in the industry that um, we sometimes will lack structure or maybe uh, cadence. Um, Creating a structure uh, around performance reviews and aligning on actions, I think really does help foster the spirit of winning within our organization. I also think it it also uh, exhibits how you can foster the spirit of winning externally too. 
All right, Matt. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I'm, I'm sure folks listening have some great takeaways and knowledge learning. And uh, uh, before I, I say goodbye, I'd like to turn back the mic back over to you for your outro. And uh, if you're willing to have people reach out to you, uh, please let the audience know. Thank you. Matt. Thank you. Uh, it's great to have the support of uh, a quant um, and, and the Service Intel podcast. I, I think helping to continue to build up our industry um, is, is something that uh, we all need uh, to take a level of responsibility with. So, um, you know, connecting more service leaders and creating a platform uh, for lessons to be shared, I can I believe it's a catalyst, right, for change and improvements across the service arena. So I appreciate the time today, and I hope our listeners were able to capture a few valuable insights and uh, maybe go and apply them uh, to their operations. Uh, you can find us at servicematters.com. Uh, so feel free to uh, stop over um, on our Service Matters website. You can take a look. Uh, you can also um, apply to be an authorized servicer uh, as well as um, sign up uh, to be enrolled uh, to some of our subscriptions. And if you'd like to connect, feel free to uh, send me a request on LinkedIn. I appreciate everybody's time here today. And it was a pleasure uh, being part of this podcast. Thank you. The pleasure was ours, man. Thank you. And thanks everyone for joining today. Thank you.